0: You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Drew. Um, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, like Joe said, if, you, if you're not familiar with me, which I think most of you are, uh, my wife and I, I'm Alex. My wife's name is Katie. One of the crying children a few minutes ago was my own son, Peter. So she's, I think, downstairs uh, Nursing game Hopefully, he gets a little bit uh, more happy uh, as a result. But um, my wife and I, we serve here as the calFA pastors, Calva directors for um, for Chi Alpha. Our heartbeat is for the campus and for university students. And so um, we are. We feel like a piece of us is missing because this little section over here is not as full as it normally is, and uh, most of those university students are not back. Uh, but that's why I get to be up here this morning because I not, my plate isn't quite as full, and so it's a great, great window to be able to share with you guys. Um, I am really encouraged by last week's message. I want to shout out to Pastor Riley. That message was great. Stacking rocks. Hopefully, you guys went to the quarry nearby your house. You started stacking some rocks um, and began to really build a memorial in your own life and and for your family's lives of what God has done. And I just want to say, like, uh, out of honesty, it is a pleasure to stack rocks with you guys. Like, we love to raise our family here. This is a great place. You know, this morning, I was telling one of the whites. This is a stupid story. But I saw one of the whites. My son, Winston, uh, was looking during pre-service prayer at the picture of Jesus, which we know that's not Jesus, but it looks maybe like him. And, you know, it's good for us to recognize he he came incarnate. And my, my son, like, full of revelation, looks at me during prayer, and he goes daddy Jesus he has a nose and my family my sons get to be discipled and in, uh and in, in loving Jesus and learning more about the Lord in this community and so it's a pleasure to stack rocks with you and uh, I pray that we can stack more rocks this year so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get in what God has for us so Jesus we thank you so much for this morning Lord, we thank you that you've already visited Lord that you've already been here Lord that you already are here and so this morning, Lord, we just pray. Even in this time, as you open your Word, as we discuss truth, objective, real truth about who you are, Lord, that you would continue to get the preeminence. Lord, that you continue to be the central thing about this morning. Lord, we don't gather for any other reason, God. We don't gather for any other purpose. This point, this this meeting is pointless without you being at the center. And so this morning, we invite you to come to be the center. We invite you to come to be the center. And of your word. Reveal yourself. Use your word to reveal yourself to us in greater measure this morning. And Lord, we pray that your word would do it as it ought to. Lord, would it cut? Would it, would it dissect? Lord, would it, would it correct, rebuke, encourage, exhort, Lord, us, and to reveal the inner attitudes and the inner thoughts of our hearts? Lord, we love it when you speak because it's always good. You are always about doing good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. Well, uh, if you guys remember, about a year ago, I was able to get up here and share, and uh, I shared the story of Katie and I first starting our relationship. I, I love to talk about, especially because we're college pastors and so like romance is just in the air in that era of life. And so I talk about our story all the time and I, I'm pretty proud of our story because, you know, I couldn't have written it any better. Like I really couldn't have. It's, it was amazing. If you, if you want to look at the message go a year ago, I won't tell that story again. Um, but Katie and I, we started dating about a year after we graduated college and um, while we were dating, we, we discovered earlier on that um, I had cousins that were moving from, from Minnesota to Egypt and Katie had cousins that were moving as well at the exact same time, within a week of each other, to do almost the exact same thing from Tanzania to Egypt. So our cousins, which were not related, were moving from across the world to be near each other in Egypt. And my cousin who was moving, Caleb, he's one of my best friends. I love him dearly. And so I promised to him, hey, when you go, I'm gonna buy a plane ticket and I'm gonna visit you. I wanna cheer you on. I wanna see your new home, your new life. And so Katie and I, we discovered this early on and I'm just full of big ideas, sometimes too ambitious, too big. And so about a month into dating, I, I found this out. And I was like, you should go to Egypt with me. We should go to the other side of the world together. Um, and I'm a little more grounded than that, than you hopefully you would think. Katie and I, we knew each other for four years at this point. We were really good friends. I had been international with Pastor Drew and Katie multiple times. And so, I, you know, I've, I've done this with Katie before, but she rightly so was a little hesitant. Like, hey, maybe that's a little too much, a little early on. And so I just kept the idea. Uh, I'd, I'd go back to it every few weeks. Well, a few months went by, and things were getting more serious for us, obviously. Like, I eventually married her. She's now my wife. Um, and so I realized somewhere in the following months that she was going to be my wife, that I was going to – I wanted to commit my life to this woman. And right around that time period where I was – it was being to settle in my heart. I was like, I need to buy plane tickets to Cairo. To I need to go visit my cousin Caleb. And I asked Katie, I said, hey, if you want to come with – I will pay for your plane ticket. I mean, it'll be your Christmas, your birthday, your Valentine's gift, all of those things. I, so I don't have to do shopping for the next year. I will do it all, and I'll pay for your plane ticket. And so uh, I'm sure there's a lot of conversations behind the scenes with her parents, but she eventually said yes, and we purchased tickets, and we were going December of 2017, and and the weeks leading up to this, I was talking to my, my roommates, who are dear friends, Dan and Ryan. They live in Minnesota. And uh, they were saying, they were talking to me about kind of where we're at in our relationship. And they're like, well, you're going to propose in Egypt, right? Like, you'd be, you'd be foolish not to. I mean, you're going to propose while you're there. And at first, I was like, I don't know, like. I kind of want to be my family, and it's just not what I quite envisioned. You know, the desert. Um, but eventually, I realized, no, this is this is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Like, I might not ever be in Egypt again, and I might never be there again with her. So. Let's do it! And so I called my cousins. I got in touch with her cousins. We began to plan, prepare. I got the ring. I got the blessing from her dad. We, we, my her cousins found the spot that we were gonna be uh, in terms of the, like the proposing sp- uh, spot. And then um, I got Lachlan and Maggie Kelly to get Katie's nails done But ahead of time without her knowing. And my cousins. They were all on board with getting the logistics work out. And so we went to Egypt, we were there, it was a phenomenal art, like it was the, not only because we got engaged on this trip, but it was the best trip of my life. I mean, it was so fun and so good to see my cousins and her cousins in the context in which they're getting their lives to. But um, we, we were like four or five days went by, we were having a lot of fun and the day came. And if anyone, for you men who are married and you proposed, uh, you know the feeling on the way, the morning you wake up on the day you're composed Like, you know, you feel so excited, but you also feel like you're gonna vomit. And so the whole day, I was holding back vomit, and we had this huge meal the night before called koshery, which is basically just like spicy SpaghettiOs, so it was coming up all day, and (laughs) we were getting prepared, and we made our way to the spot, and Katie's cousins found this place, it was called the Mina House Hotel, it was started by the British when the Egyptians, uh, or Egypt was a part of the British Empire, and... Uh, it's beautiful, it's full of waterworks, and it's just this massive grand hotel, and because we're Westerners, we could just kind of walk in and not say anything, so we did, and we walked in, we hung out there, and we got drinks, cappuccinos, Coca-Colas, everything was really cheap there, and the, t- the time came for, for me to make my move, and so we began to move towards what is very fitting, if you know my first name, to the Churchill Gardens. We began to wor- work our way towards the Churchill Gardens, and um, I-, I was able to k- kind of peel Katie off from the group i pulled her off to the side and in that moment everyone kind of ran to their, their positions and their places and i got down i grabbed her hands I, I i i you know i confessed my love to this woman i i i got down on one knee i was gonna reenact it this morning because i actually have katie's ring in a box right now uh, but she's not here right now so we're not gonna do this but you know i got down on one knee and i i asked with this this ring i said you know katie would you be my wife would you marry me and in that moment, right, I'm like, I'm ready to go all in on this relationship. And this actually happened. You can put up the picture uh, if you want, Abigail. That's the, that's the Great Pyramid of Giza right behind me. And there's Katie and I. We just are freshly engaged. I have a few less lines in my forehead then. Um, but that's us. We really did do it in the shadow of the Great Pyramids. I mean, it was crazy. It was an amazing experience. I, I, like I said, I can never, ever write my own story in the way that it's come about. The Lord has just been that good. And that day, right, was, wasn't, I mean, it was, it was tremendous. It was beautiful. And obviously, everything that I said I was going to do on that day was officialized at this altar like six months later. But that day wasn't, it wasn't me getting a new accessory, right? Getting engaged isn't me getting a new board game expansion or getting a new outfit. Getting a spouse is something far more than that. Because on that day, when I got down on one knee, what was I there to do? With my, with my words, with my body posture, with, my, with this very valuable, very beautiful ring, I was pledging my life to this woman. I was saying, okay, I am done living as Alex Rosinger alone. And I'm ready to give my life to this beautiful woman. And that is marriage. That's the covenant of marriage. That is the experience where we dedicate our lives, we covenant ourselves to this other person. And for those of us who are happily married, you know this, right? It becomes less about me, less about my plans and my dreams and what I want to do with my money and my life. And it switches. The, the I, the me in me, dies. And it's replaced with what do we want to do? What are our plans? What are our dreams? What should we do with our money? The me and me died and it was replaced with something far more beautiful. It was replaced with we. And... That is an objectively good thing. Marriage, even if you, if you don't get married, that's fine. There's an amazing life for you, but marriage is a created institution by God, and it's an objectively good thing. We get to experience intimacy and vulnerability and companionship and this life being laid out for another. It's a good thing that the I dies, that the me dies, and the we takes its spot. And this picture of man and woman getting married, the I dying, and the, being replaced with the we is almost Almost a perfect example and replica of what it's like when we give our lives to Jesus. Is it not? This is a core fundamental truth about following Christ, giving our lives to Jesus. When we choose to surrender our lives to Christ, we choose death to the self. We choose to say it's no longer about me. Instead, this is cheesy, you can write it down. It's about He. Or if you're praying and you're, you're praying this prayer, it's no longer about me, Lord, it's about thee. The life orientation that we have around ourselves now switches to someone else. And it no longer becomes my plans and my money and my desires, but Lord, it's, Lord, what do you, what do you want to do with the money that you gave me? Lord, what do you want to do with the life that you've privileged me with? Lord, what do you, what do you love? What are your desires? What burns on your heart? Because that matters far more. And again, I mean, this is objectively good, We gain a precious Lord, a faithful friend. We gain something so tremendous in the death of me being replaced with the he. It is good. But here's the thing. This is why it's almost a perfect replica. We don't just gain a faithful companion. We gain a Lord. He is Lord. Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, that's actually, I mean, crazy enough, that's actually what we're doing. He actually is the Lord of our life. This is fundamental. If you haven't, if you've been a part of Christianity for a while, you've been coming to church for a while no one's told you that when you choose to follow Jesus, you have died to your life, and now Christ is the center. That is a core tenet. I mean, that's what following Jesus is about. Jesus says, Pick up your cross and follow me. That's what we ought to do. It's a fundamental way of Christian living. But here's what is I've noticed is very difficult to live it out. It's really hard. If I'm honest, it's difficult for me. I've known, I've, I've, I'm 29 years old, I'm not that old, but I've been following Jesus, sometimes better than other times, since I was five years old, right? So 24 years, I've known this core truth that Jesus is Lord, and I'm not very good at it yet. It, it's difficult for me, and there's this moment when we're gonna open up God's word here in a second, where I, this last semester, I was feeling Overwhelmed. We are in the Kaya Alpha season, which students understand the semester well. It's you rush, rush, rush. You work, work, work. Students, I don't study, but they study, study, study. Right. We're getting all these things done. So much is packed into 16 weeks. And then for me as well, you know, I'm I'm not just doing Kaya Alpha. I I I have a marriage. I love my wife more than I love Kaya Alpha. I love my kids, and there's all these things going on of a household to run. And so I remember it was a Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, and I was getting ready to share the next night at Kyle for Rally, which is our large group gatherings. And I, I began to pray and complain. And I, I began to tell the Lord all the ways I was feeling, all the burdens I was holding on to, how I felt like I had too much to, going on. And and, and then, the, you know, I love to share. It's a privilege to share, to be up here like this. I mean, it's, it's a gift, but it's a it's a weighty thing in some ways. So I began to just, like, confess the Lord all these things. And then he brought me to where I want us to go this morning in this time. He brought me to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read this together. He brought me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I told Alejandro this. If I ever do a doctoral dissertation, it will be in this, in this epistle. Because the, the book was written by the Apostle Paul to the, the church. And you can, there's debates on how you say the word the city. But Colossae or Colossae to this church that actually Paul never been to. He had known them by proxy through one of his colleagues. But he had great love and affinity for them. And he wrote this book as a directive against what was becoming, a, we don't know exactly what the heresy was, but a heresy uh, in the church, a false teaching. And what his, like, central theme is, is Jesus Christ is God and he is Lord. That's the central theme of Colossians. Super straightforward. If you ever see the Caiaphas shirts where it says Christ is supreme, in the, in the NLT, Colossians chapter 1, it says Christ is supreme. So that's why we have that there. That, that that's that's what it's all about and so in colossians chapter 3 paul continues on in this theme and this is what the lord I felt like really highlighted to me that day a few months ago it says this in verse chapter 1 it'll be on the screen behind me since you've been raised to your life with christ set your sights on the realities of heaven where christ sits in the place of honor at god's right hand think about the things of heaven not the things of earth for you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with christ and god and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So as I was reading this, and it's, I mean, there's, there's so much here. Like, we could spend months and months talking about what's, what's held inside of these verses. As I was reading this and I was praying through it, and it, it was one of those moments that the word of God does what it's supposed to. It jumps off the page. It cuts your heart. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, that's really painful. But that's exactly what I needed. And it's exactly what, what my heart was in need of in that moment. I felt like the Lord whispered this phrase to me. He reminded me of a very core fundamental truth. Alex, you're not the main character of your own life anymore. You're not the main character of your of your own life anymore. And you know as I'm holding on to all these things as I'm tightly clinging to all my responsibilities, feeling the weight of everything. You know what that brought me? Was it a slap in the face? Was it being shoved in the dirt? No, it brought me such peace. It brought me such joy. To know that I'm not the main character of my life anymore. It is objectively hard work to be the main character of our own life. To be the hero of our own story is an impossible task. I cannot do that. And so Jesus choosing to come in and be Lord and be the main character, be the hero of my story, thank God. Thank God. But the culture, and I'm not going to try to rail against the culture too long, but the culture in which we live says the opposite. It says, I and mean, if you read biographies, if you watch the movies, it says, "You take control of your life. You are the main character of your story. No one else can fix your life for you. And you go on like Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, and you hear these stories of people like, "Hey, I had all these things going against me." And then they list And then I did all these things. To me it gets the credit. To me it gets the glory about my life. Look what I've done. And we love to be the main character of our life. And I think Christians, we don't necessarily want that, but it's the culture in which we, sl- we swim and it's the air we breathe. And so it seeps its way. Sometimes I've caught myself thinking about me being the central part of my own story. And that, man, oof. And it's become, yeah, there, I mean, it's become such a phenomenon. There's actually, I've talked, I was talking to Elizabeth Thompson, wherever she is, about this earlier this week. Uh, and Riley sh- said this a few times to me, and I've, I've heard this phrase. But there's a, there's a phrase that is, is, is talked about. I'm going to butcher it because I'm not, on, I'm not on social media as much as I probably would have been when I was younger. But it's called main character energy, right? When someone takes a hold of their life and they do an objectively good job with it, they have main character energy. When they take control of their life and of their narrative, they are being the main character story, and they're applauded for it. It is a phenomenon. It's something that's actually said in the recesses of the internet that we probably shouldn't go to very often. It's in the culture. And so it's objectively hard, even though we are Christians, even though we've given our lives to Jesus, to live as if we've given our lives to Jesus. But here's the thing. The main character energy, the main, the, thus being the hero of our story, it is antithetical to the gospel. We have to realize that. It stands in opposition to the story of Christ. We cannot live that way. It is sinful to live that way. It objectively is. And so, the moment I had to repent, thankfully, it was like this joyous repentance because it was like, man, I don't have to deal with this. Like, it's all right. If things start, to start on fire in Israel, like, it's going to be all right because I'm not the main character. Jesus is going to clean this up somehow. It's going to be good. So, how do we live this out? And this cultural tension and this tension in our own hearts. And then not to mention, I mean, just we're people. And so we love to put ourselves back in the place of the throne of our own heart. We love to make ourselves at the center of our life. And how do we do this? And so this morning, I don't have a silver bullet for you. But what I want to share with you is is out of Colossians chapter 3, a few observations that make this easier. That will help us along the way of reinstituting Jesus as the main character, as the hero of our life. As the Lord of our life. So the first is this. We ought to fixate on Jesus enthroned. If we want to live out this life where we are no longer the main character, we're no longer the hero, we ought to fixate on Jesus enthroned. Uh, as Dr. Gladstone, who's been here and he's a friend of our church, says often, and Dr. Cubing as well, uh, we often discount the ascension of Christ. But Jesus came, I mean his life, his, his birth, his life, his death, His burial, his resurrection, I mean, that's what we think of the good news. But the good news doesn't stop there. A few weeks after he began to appear to people, he ascended into heaven. And it says in scripture that he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. There, he is given the place of highest honor. All authority on heaven and earth has been handed him, and he's been given the name above all names. That's where Jesus sits. And he sits Because the work is done. He was such a victorious king. He did such a good job at his job of being the hero of our story that the work is now done. And so us remembering and looking and fixating at the fact that Jesus sits enthroned does our heart much good. Much good. And then in verse 2, it goes on. Colossians 2, and it says, think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Obviously, Jesus is enthroned in heaven. And so it's good for us to think about these things. But I, 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 was, I was kind of like parsing this through what this means for our own life. That I think that phrase sometimes is hard to understand. Think about things of heaven, not of earth. We think about things of earth all the time. And in other passages or other translations, they set your mind on things of heaven, not on things of earth. But the reality is we set our mind to like, you know, I, I have to discipline and train my children. I have to set my mind to that. I have to think about how I'm going to pay the bills. I have to think about fixing my car or, or going to work. In the I have to think about these things. The King James Version, I think, gives us a much better measuring rod. It says, set your affections on the things above. Set your affections on things above. Because all of these things we set our minds to in life are not necessarily bad. Jesus was a carpenter. I'm sure he set his mind on building a table or a house once in a while. But his affections were not left there. He set his affections on things above. I remember... Um, again, I, I share out of this context because I talk to college students a lot. But uh, there was a time, if you, uh, there was a time where I was fixating on my pain and my own self sorriness too much when I was in college. If you look at the, this is by God's grace. This is by God's design. If you look at my my dating history in college, it's just a list of swing and misses, right? Just like swing and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss. I mean, like I didn't have a girlfriend in college, thankfully, because God knew and was storing up what was objectively better for me, right? Because I married Katie a year after. But there was one time where I got, it was a swing and a miss, just got shut down, and I was doing what most guys do, bummed out, pity party for myself, telling my roommates, this is probably not what most guys do, but I was calling my mom, right, I was calling my dad, I was telling him just like how I felt, and my dad said something to me that was like so fitting, like what a good dad ought to say. He just told me, you know, I was probably like a few days into this, he's just like, Alex, either you trust God or you don't. Either you trust God or you know, and, and, and I mean, either I fixate on my pain, fixate on me just being sorry for myself and my emotions, or I churn and I trust God and I fixate on the fact that he's worthy of being trusted because he's ascended, because he sits on the throne. And so me fixating on my, thought, my, my thoughts and my affections on where Jesus is rather than some failed romantic relationship is objectively better and it helps reinstitute him as the main character of my life. It's far easier to live life with our thoughts and our affections fixated on Jesus enthroned. And this is why worship is really good for us. Um, If you, I was thinking about how to like describe why I think this is so good. If you guys were here on Friday night, we, we had an amazing service that close out the week of prayer. And we sang a song, Alleluia, which is one of my favorite songs. And the bridge goes, and all the angels cry out, holy, holy is Lord God. And all the earth replies, holy are you. And what my mind kind of goes to is if you've been to a Cyclones game, a football game or a, uh, or a basketball game, right? The, the, the stadium divides itself in the half, and the, the team's in the center, and we're, we're cheering them on. And one half of us will yell, cyclone, and the other half will yell, power, right? So we get all all amped, and we're celebrating our team, and we're getting excited. Well, the picture that's presented in "Hallelujah" that song, and what's represented in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, is exactly what's happening. There's this well, I mean, man, you think about the throne, where right? You got the throne where, where, where Christ sits. And you have these, 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 these beings all day long shouting, holy, holy, holy. And these elders taking off their thrones and throwing it before God himself. And then there's, there's just tens of thousands upon tens of thousands, right? So tens of millions of angels that are gathered around singing, holy are you, Lord. And then the earth is replying back the same thing. All of creation is replying back the same thing. We're chanting and we're celebrating Jesus enthroned throne right at the center of everything. And so when we worship... We're joining in on that chorus. We're joining in on what's already happening in heaven. We're actually, I think we're inviting heaven in a little early because we get to join in. On, that's why it feels so good to do that. That's why it feels so right. It's in line with our design. And it's setting our lives and our, our affections on Jesus enthroned right at the center. This is why worship is really good for us. So do it here. Do it at home. Do it in your car. Do it when you're mad. Do it when you're sad. Uh, secondly, out of this passage, I want to share with you guys, um, in, in verse three, it says, for you die to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. So what ought we do, we need to stay dead and stay hidden. We need to stay dead and stay hidden. If you didn't know what we talked about at the beginning, but you have died to this life when you give your life to Jesus. Giving life to Jesus means, yes, I surrender. I surrender my life, but it means the death of something. It means the death of me. It means the death of this life that I choose on my own. So we have died to this, Christ, to this life. And in this dead life, what do we end up doing? We are now found hidden in Christ. We die to be hidden. And I was trying to understand what the word hidden means here. Like, okay, like, how can I explain this? How can I express this? And um, there's a lot of debates on what it fully means. But what brought, was brought to my mind right away is when I think of something being hidden, what do we hide? What is the parable that's hidden in the field? Treasure. What is hidden? Treasure. So when we die to this life, we are now hidden like treasure in Christ. I mean, that communicates so many things. It communicates that the value that Christ puts on us. I mean, even the whole story of the parable of the treasure in the field is that Christ valued us enough to sell everything. So we being hidden in Christ shows that we are valued by Christ. In that place of death, now being hidden in Christ, we are very valued. Highly valued. And then we're hidden. We're, we're we're I think we're brought behind the veil. I think about like me having like you know if I had a stack of ten thousand dollars, am I going to walk around church? I trust you guys mostly, but am I going to walk around church with it in my hand? Am I just going to walk around and be like, hey, you guys see my ten thousand dollars? You see this? No, I'm going to put it in my chest pocket, and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to keep it hidden and concealed because I value it. And you know what I'm going to do? If you ask me for it, which is the other version of what, what Christ says we're hidden, I'm going to protect it. If you ask me for my $10,000, I'm going to put my brass knuckles on and I'm going to say, no, I'm going to protect this treasure that is mine on my person. And in the same way, that's what Christ does for us. When we are found hidden in Christ, we've died in this life, we were hidden in Christ, he now chooses to become our protector. He's the one who puts on the brass knuckles and says, I'm ready to fight on your behalf. I'm ready to take this life on for you. I'm ready to be the hero of your own story. So you know what we need to do? If we want to, if we want to enjoy this hidden life, which is objectively a better, a better life, stay dead. We need to stay dead. It's a human tendency to, and I do this all the time, to run back to the things that we've died to and try to resurrect it. and try to, We tamper with it. We, we get like there's a shiny object. We run back to it. And we feel the pull back to it. And so doing, when we, when we, we run back and try to, to resurrect what's already dead, we step out of this hiddenness in Christ. Now, I've experienced this cycle before in lots of ways. One way I feel like it's very practical is in the area of finances. For me, we, Katie and I, we were, we, this is not to toot our horn, I'm just telling you the context. We were doing really well as engineers. We were, I was an engineer. Katie was working full time in Minneapolis. We moved here knowing this was exactly what God has for us like, so joyful, feeling so blessed, but knowing that, hey, your financial situation is going to change a little bit. And so we came here, things changed. We had just bought a house in Minnesota, and I, I I told my wife right before we moved here, like, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get a new house someday. It's gonna be like five years, right? We're gonna it's gonna take a while. Like, we have to adjust this new situation. And in the months intervening, and and even even sometimes today, you know, I'll, I'll look at our financial situation and. And sometimes I'll get anxious. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be like, this isn't the way I want it to look. This is not exactly the way, what I was, I, was, I was hoping for, or, you know, maybe designing for my own life. And so I'll run back to resurrecting the fact that I'm my own provider. And so I'll step out of this hiddenness of Christ and I'll step into me choosing to provide for myself, working hard, hustling hard, doing stupid things sometimes. And you know what happens when I'm out of the hiddenness of Christ? I get smacked in the face. And I, and, and I look around and I, I realize, I get, I, I get more empty, I get more bitter, or I get more frustrated because I'm like, well, I don't have what they have. That's called envy, right? Like, I don't do what, I don't see, I don't have this life that I was envisioning. But yet, what's crazy is if you look at the story in the Testament of Kid and I's life, in this hidden place with Christ, that is, and I'm not saying we're going to be super wealthy, but I'm saying that's where we've been the most blessed. When I've like allowed, just been faithful, taking care of my bills, like just like done what needs to be done, not being stupid with my finances, the Lord has blessed us tremendously. The less I focused on it, the more I've been blessed. And so I said that Katie and I chose not to, we didn't think we were going to be able to buy a home for five years. Well, fast forward 15 months, we things had changed in our lives so much, we were to buy a home. It was in the middle of 2021, if you remember that, Kyle, uh, Kyle Barnes will know the context of 2021 better. Um, but, you know, like, homes were selling with a, a boy above asking, with tons of money down, no, like, no, no inspections. And here we find our situation has changed. And I wasn't even, we weren't even, like, planning on the home. And here's this home that's like perfect for us. been sitting in the market for weeks. Uh, No one's put a bid on it. They actually dropped the price. We walk in. It's exactly what we need. It's within a mile of campus. And we put a bid on it. We say, hey, we want an inspection. And they said, sure. And we got this home in the middle of what is the craziest market of all time. And that was 15 months of us living here. Fast forward now, we're we're shy of four years. And we still have another year to go beyond my original objective. The hiddenness of Christ is, is actually where we were the most blessed. And me, not stressing out. In us, just trusting that Christ can provide, that God can be the main character of my life, that I don't have to hustle. I've stayed in the hiddenness. I've stayed dead to the old things, and things have been better. But every time I've journeyed out, every time I've left that place of hiddenness, man, I get smacked in the face. So we need to stay dead. Stay dead. I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Tony up to the keys. The final way I want us, or I think that we should... Respond in trying to create this life where Jesus is at the center, trying to live this out of Him truly being Lord, is in verse 16. So it's not gonna be on the screen, I'm gonna read it to you, but if you read Colossians about 5 through 15, it becomes very practical, right? Um, as a commentary read that I that said that I read, is that you know, the basis of good Christian living is good theology. right? So good theology, we died this life, we're in Christ, so it should bring all these practical things. Don't be lustful, don't be greedy, stop hurting each other. And then it switches and says, be loving, be kind, be generous, regard each other as better than yourself, or that goes on. And then in verse 16, in, this, in a summary to this practical way of living, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this really profound passage that, Again, it hit me when I read it. It says this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So how do we live with Christ as Lord of our life? We let the message about Christ in all its richness fill our lives. When we contemplate the message of Christ, it becomes very easy to remember that we are not the hero. If you look at the context of human society and humanity, we were on a one-way ticket to hell. Genocide, murder, death everywhere. I mean, it's it's a bleak picture. We don't have to go down that road very far. To see that things weren't going well for us. And the message of Christ is that everything changed when the Son of God was born and took on flesh. Everything changed. For not only me, not only for one individual, but for all of humanity. In his death and resurrection and ascension, in the message of Christ, everything has changed about humanity. When we let the message of Christ live richly in us, we recognize that we are not the hero of our own story, and we're certainly not the hero of the story of humanity. Only one person is. Jesus himself. <laughs> the message of Christ... Is the antidote when we get to fixate on our own lives too much. The message of Christ is the antidote when we get to resurrect our old selves again. The message of Christ is what allows us to hide in His grace and His protection. And we can never, ever, ever, ever graduate from the message of Christ. No theology, no theology is too good than the message of Christ. No philosophical take is better than the message of Christ. No amount of maturity can ever mature us past the message of Christ. And may it be when we're Barber House age, when we are in our elderly years, and we've been saints for decades at a time, may it be said of us that we have let the message of Christ live in us richly. May it be said of all of us at life point that the message of Christ has lived in us richly. Because in that place, it's far easier to remember that we are not the hero of our lives anymore. That we are not the main character of our story. There is one, and it's all about him. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.